We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition, a bonus edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and we are taking a retrospective on the 2021 season when we look at some of these contributors that have been brought in. I mean, Chris, it's been a year. It's been a year where we thought, like, I, I guess I, if I have to explain this... <sighs> There's going to come a time, there will be a day, where we, when the dust settles from the 2021-2022 season, finally come in, we sit down on a night where you can booze, and we reminisce about this season in all of its glory. The highs, the lows, the detritus, the <laughs> everything that comes along with it. But tonight, we're just looking at the end of the regular season, because our year isn't over yet. We're not done. And I think in that way, it's important to look at some of the faces, both new and old, that have been brought in and maybe even prioritized in hopes of writing a different ending to the 2020 season. I mean, Chris, if we're being sincere, I mean, that game at Arrowhead last year, it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, not just us as fans. I mean, look at Diggs solemnly just watching confetti fall until Sean McDermott has to come out and get him. Brandon Bean being almost too transparent in his postseason wrap-up conversation with the media. Uh, Josh Allen's broken and haunted face over and over and over again being shown on national television. This team went into this offseason determined to change. They brought back their core. They made a concerted effort to do that. 
And yet, they added pieces they thought could help them both now and in the future as they try to take advantage of this Super Bowl window with a defense that's loaded with talent and a star quarterback under center. And so, well, Diggs is still, look, Chris, we still have pieces. Diggs, electric wide receiver. Uh, he's proven it. He's broken records just a year after setting the mark for the, well, what, he won the uh, receiving title last year. Allen, still this, <laughs> he's the identity of our team. People go, oh, what's our, the Bills' identity? It's Josh Allen. It's whatever he chooses to be on a given weekend. <sighs> He's, he's it more so than any other player on the roster. We still have faces that are going to be contributors to this run that we're hoping to make that we think are important. I want to start with Emmanuel Sanders. Okay, if we're going to start, start with this. When the Bill signed Sanders, it was to be a replacement for John Brown. That, can I say, still jobless John Brown. And on its face, it was simple to understand. You had a speed threat that couldn't, didn't run the best routes, wasn't the most savvy wide receiver. And he, defenses were more consistently throwing zone looks at you. And you said, I need another guy. You know, Cole Beasley does very well against zone. So does Stephon Diggs. They all lead the NFL. Well, we want to bring in one more guy to beat zone coverage. And we want to, sir, we want to, be able to field a wide receiver room that can take over a game when a zone defense approaches us. It paid dividends early on. I mean, in that five and two start, he was averaging six and a half targets a game, three and a half catches, 59 yards and four touchdowns. After the Jacksonville loss, though, he's disappeared from the offense completely. Three and a half targets per game, 24 yards per game, Zero scores and four first downs. Total. Not just per game. Total. Compared to 24 in that previous stretch we just talked about. Not only that, but according to NFL Next Gen Stats, his average separation has shrunk by almost a full yard over the last three to four games he's played. Now, I know he's hurt currently. But his fall from grace started a lot, a lot longer ago than that. And I wish... Chris, I wish as the podcast host here tonight that I was savvier when it came to topics like this. You're not smart. (laughs) I'm I'm like a Forrest Gump. I am not a smart man, but I know what love is. Okay, well, I know what it is to love this football team. I just don't know how to articulate some of what's going on with some of these new faces. But I think I know someone who does. And it's with that that we bring in tonight's guest. Mr. Anthony Prohaska from Cover One, how are you, sir? Fantastic segue, by the way. Well done. That's a championship segue right there. Well done, my man. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. I told you. Ace this thing. So Yeah, you nailed it. So, for those of you, again, who live under a rock, Anthony Prohaska, Cover One, podcaster, disguise coverage, postgame with Aaron and Greg. Chris, I'd like to think he's the only wrestling stand that you know in podcasting. Sure. He, Anthony, what is it about wrestling that appeals to you? Oh, the when when it's done right, I think it is arguably the most perfect combination of drama, storytelling, and athleticism, all in one thing. And I compare it to for those who knock it or don't like it, good wrestling is like a good TV show or a good movie, except your favorite characters and stars do their own stunts and they do it three hundred nights out of the year, and I think it's fantastic. 
And I also don't like WWE. I think it's bad. So I don't want to get lumped in with that crowd just in case anybody's listening. And they're like, well, what did you think? I just wanted to make that. Chris just bowed up. Chris is acting like you insulted him. Well, I don't I don't pay. I wouldn't I don't pay attention to WWE. I mean, the other promotion, AEW, is really the go to. There you you go. How are you watching wrestling behind my back? No, I I watch it. I've seen it occasionally. How, I, I, how do you bring this into this house? I'm disappointed in you. This is like, this do, is like when a father br- catches his son with pot for the first time. He's like, damn it, kid. <laughs> I thought you were better than this. But he knows deep down that he used to do it. I like, like how, ah. I like how you said, how, how did you bring, why do you bring this into this house? Like we live together. <laughs> Under my roof. I mean, Chris is essentially <laughs> In my marriage. house. In my house, you do this thing. <laughs> oh, I love it. So... Uh, first of all, this is where I want to start to pick your brain. Because like I said, there are new faces that they we've brought to this team in hopes of changing the fortunes of what we are in this next postseason based on what happened last year. Sanders was supposed to be one of them. What do you think his role is as we enter the postseason? It's a big question, and... I think step one is him getting healthy. I was very excited to see that he was a full participant today in practice. And, you know, it's been a weird trajectory of a season for him. You highlighted it. You know, he starts out so hot and so strong. You've even got, like, fantasy managers all clamoring for, like, oh, my God, is Emmanuel Sanders going to be a top 20 wide receiver? Like, he's just Hey, he hitting. carried me early on. He was part of the— There you go. He was part of the greatest wide receiver fantasy draft ever. I took in a keeper league. Uh, first round, okay. it was— uh, who was it? The guy from the Falcons who quit on the team. Uh, Calvin I, Ridley. Yeah, I, had, I, had him <laughs> I, I had Ridley. Then I had Cup in like the fifth round okay. or fourth round. Then it was Jamar Chase. Oh, boy. And then it was Ruggs. And then it was wow. Sanders. And then I can't remember who my other pick was, but it didn't matter. Oh, Antonio Brown. So you were killing it Antonio early. Brown in the 12th oh, wow. round. And I was like, wow. this is this is I, for a guy who sucks at drafting fantasy wide receivers <laughs> perennially. I was like, I have to win a title this year because I don't yeah. think anybody can ever assemble a better group than this. <laughs> no, early you were earlier you were killing it, like yes. getting that kind of value, and that's where Emmanuel Sanders was in like the fantasy conversation early, where it was like, should I start Deontay Johnson for Pittsburgh or Emmanuel Sanders? And you look back on it at the end of the year, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe that was even a conversation. Yes. But that's how involved he was in this offense. You know, he was catching touchdowns, he was getting high leverage opportunities. And I think his, you know, his role or not his role, but his production as it started to diminish towards, you know, after after that hot start, I think part of it, unfortunately, I think some of it has to be on Josh Allen, you know, in doing I've done so much tape study this year, more than I have in any year past. And there were a lot of opportunities where Sanders was targeted and Josh was just off a little bit with his accuracy or just off with his touch. And then there were some other throws where Manny was wide open. He beat coverage, but Josh didn't get to see him, whether it was because of Josh's reads or especially at that time of the year, the poor production of the offensive line where Josh didn't really have the time to see anybody or anything with everything that was going on. So I think some of his struggles are due to those, you know, extenuating circumstances. Then you combine that with the injury and, you know, how he's been banged up towards the back half of the year. But for me at this point, it may be, you know, a hot take or an outlandish statement. But other than Stefan Diggs going into this playoff game, if Emmanuel Sanders is healthy, I don't trust any more anyone more on this offense more than Stefan Diggs going into this game. If I've got a fourth and two or fourth and three or fourth and five and I need a conversion, I'm going to Stefan Diggs. And if I'm not going to Stefan Diggs, 
I'm going to Emmanuel Sanders. His production, his pedigree, his veteran status combined with his skill set and his sure hands. And, you know, maybe it's a nice thing because if you don't like that opinion, that's fine. We got Cole Beasley. We got Gabriel Davis. We got all (laughs) these other weapons and options. That's fine. Like, I'm fine with any one of the other uh, knives that are in the cupboard. But I'm very excited to see what a healthy Emmanuel Sanders does for this offense because, like you mentioned, his ability to beat zone, but also his ability to beat man. He was one of the best man beaters last year in coverage and especially over his career. You've got a Patriots team that comes into this game, you know, playing 34% man coverage on the year, which is the – as I check my notes here in this notebook that's he all crumpled, the fifth notes. most. He has paper oh, I'm notes. A, I'm a paper notes guy. I, I'm a paper notes guy. Oh, my God. Dude. You're even going to – so even even the outline for us, right, that yeah. I got emailed, I printed it, and then I wrote my notes on it. Wow. I'm a handwritten notes kind of guy. That's me. Um, the Pats play 34% man coverage on the year, fifth most in the league, and both games against the Bills, they played 39%. Each game, you're going to see at least, you know, four out of every 10, you're going to see man coverage combined with single high looks. I'm excited to see what Manny brings, despite the fact that we haven't really seen his best output and production so far this year. What I think is crazy sorry about the handwritten notes. No, 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 no. Because what I think is crazy is that we've been talking about having these some of the smart people meetings with uh, Greg and Bruce. And yet somehow you didn't get the invite because that's incredible. Oh, yeah, well, no, no, I you're going to take no, you're going to take Greg's spot. <laughs> this stu- <laughs> his stupid hair is enraging. It's in enra- that hair part is enraging. I don't know how you do it every post game. <laughs> he works very hard on his hair. I, I respect it. I understand. I understand the diligence it takes and the execution. You know, he st- he studies the tape. He puts the work in and we see the execution on game day. I understand. Yeah, I got to sit across the table from a guy who puts a lot of thought into his hair. I just want to shave it off. I just want to shoot. And I don't. Stupid I usually wear a hat even now because I know we're not live. Like, my hair is just whatever, and I got my hood up over my head. Like, I'm just like, whatever. It is what it is. Well, I get a fade it. on my hair. I don't do anything to it. It is. You're, it is. you're like me. We just shave it, cut it as short as it can be, and then I'll ride that for a few weeks, and I'll come back when I need it redone. Some people exactly, need to make me. it a part of the personality, like Greg and Chris over here. But, you know, they look great, and I get it, but it's not meant for me to each his own. Look at you being complimentary of him when he's clearly an idiot. So, as well. we, <laughs> I love how you see, he's like, I don't want to be a part of you trashing your producer. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be what it was if it's uh, not for me. That's true. On my it wasn't end. for Chris. It would just be me drinking a 12-pack and then just yelling about, wait, <laughs> wait but isn't that Sunday in Drew's basement? Yeah, you would just <laughs> yell it into your phone. You would press record. On your phone, there'd be no edits. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it would be like in the office when they did the uh, Creed thought, uh, Creed thoughts. When Ryan oh, made yes. him like a, a word document, and he was just, he goes, "Hey, go check just out creedthoughts.com. He goes, "No, I made him a word document where he could just put it where it couldn't hurt, it was, where it couldn't hurt anyone. He, he thought it was a blog, and it was it. just an open Microsoft Word document. That's that's exactly what this show would be if it wasn't for Chris." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as we settle back into this, defensive tackle Ed Oliver. Okay, we we talk yeah. about old faces, new faces, and guys who were brought in to make a difference. Well, Ed Oliver was. You know, they go, hey, this is a guy who needs to make a difference this year. He needs to be something better than what he's been because as a top ten pick, he's been something of a disappointment. He's shown flashes of ability, but never really put a full run defense, pass rush. He's never put it all together at once. Ever since Thanksgiving, 
I really think that was his coming out party. He's been one of the most disruptive presences on the defensive line. And I have the numbers. 40 pressures, 5 sacks, which is 13th in the NFL among defensive tackles, 24 quarterback hurries, 10 tackles for loss, which is tied for 5th best in the NFL. He's he's all of a sudden getting it. He's in a groove right now. When you look at what Ed Oliver was to what he is now entering the playoffs, you can almost count him as a new player because he's a he's a difference maker we didn't have at that position, right? I think that's fair to say. He has been a force this year, especially towards the back half of the year, like you mentioned. And his transformation has been, you know, he he had moments in his first several years in the league where you saw flashes and you were like, oh, there it is. I like that. And then it would like maybe kind of peter out a little bit. And then you'd see it again. And it was just a little more roller coastery. This year we're seeing game after game, sometimes drive after drive, where he is just making impact plays, whether it's in the run, whether it's the pass game. And I feel for him in certain ways because the raw stats and the metrics don't necessarily tell the tale. There was uh, some writer on NFL.com today was talking about fifth-year options and how it shouldn't be picked up for Ed because his he's terrible against the run and he can't pass rush. And it was just like such an uninformed article. And I know it was written by somebody who probably just looked at the box score yes. and doesn't watch Bill's games and doesn't watch tape and doesn't get it. But Ed Oliver's year this year, his – his get off and his burst, the play that he almost made sacking Zach Wilson against the Jets on a run play. That's unbelievable. <laughs> like that's something that, that's something that I, I don't want to make the comp because I think it's unfair to him and people have done it since he came out. That's Aaron Donald esque. Those are the types of things yeah. that Aaron Donald does. The, the sack that he got lining up at edge and driving the outside shoulder of his offensive tackle and starting to rip and then feeling the leverage and spinning back inside looked like John Randall from the Vikings back in the day. Like he has been a force, his hand technique, his violence with his hands, his ability to understand leverage, his pass rush moves and awareness this year. He's understanding angles and how to attack and what to do and when to do it. He's putting a plan together and he's executing. He's made a very huge jump this year and he's a key piece and cog in this Bills defense and a key piece in this team, hopefully bound for the Super Bowl and winning a championship this year. And I like the way you put it because, you know, he is almost like a new player. This level that he has transcended to, he's gone Super Saiyan, you know, I'd say level two this year. He's powered up a little bit (laughs) and we're going to need him to be at that level. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned Dragon Ball Z because like that was one of those things I never understood growing up. It was just an excuse for me. No, because I had a bunch of friends who loved it. And then what would happen is we would all get together at my buddy's house. They'd watch a bunch of it and then decide, let's go have a tournament in the backyard. And I would just get to beat up my friends. It's like, no, <laughs> so you I liked it. Hey, well, it's like, hey, listen, you, you guys talk about power levels. Well, this is real life. And I actually just get to manhandle you because <laughs> you're not tough. You well, Ed Oliver just made that jump, though. And it's crazy yeah. to me. Like, so during that, we talked about it. My wife texting me about this concept that. He's Zach Wilson's been knocked down more times than he's taken dropbacks to pass. Well, yeah, part of that's at Oliver because he got the knockdown on that one where he's trying to hand the ball off, and you go, "Oh, he's in his lap." What are you going to do about that? He's a problem for anybody who wants there to be. If you allow him to be one, he will be. Which is and he's also got the fifth highest double team rate in the league, and he's still doing all this nonsense. Which is world's better than what I think we thought of him maybe 10 weeks ago. Mm-hmm, for sure. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think it's fair to look at him and say he's a difference maker that's trending upwards towards the playoffs. Now, his brethren on the edges... Greg Rousseau, F.A. Obata, and Boogie Basham. Now, this is, it's funny because one of the themes of the summer was trying to figure out how the Bills were going to change this dynamic that they had going on in the D-end room. Last year, they put a lot of money into the defensive line, and it, it didn't really work out. It didn't bear much fruit. So then this year, they, they cut people and then somehow still kept Vernon Butler, which I'll never understand. <laughs> like, He's got nudes somewhere of Brandon Bean. That's the only thing I can <laughs> He's think. He's got dirt on somewhere. He's got the nudes. But if not, they they went for a more youthful defensive end situation because, like I said, in the offseason, they were the worst combination of old and expensive at the end. Trent Murphy, they had guys like uh, I mean, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy. You didn't get a ton of production out of the unit. At the same time, they were costing you money. Well, mm-hmm. you went and got young and started giving those snaps to people, but you didn't cut a lot of the expensive guys. So in in this, I was like, okay, some of these guys won't make it. I mean, I originally thought Obata and Rousseau's skill sets were so redundant that they were kind of a one-for-one one match on the roster. I go, they're both big, long guys who can rush from the interior. They've, they're good against the run. They're stout. They're physical. The fact that they kept both of them, I guess it's just they, they've, it's been interesting to watch them rotate. What do you see from them as you've been watching film over the course of the season? I mean, let's start with let's start with Obata. Obata's the guy that everyone thought was the odd man out. I did. Some of his best games have come when he doesn't see the snaps. <laughs> when he's actually just used sparingly as a pass rush specialist, he's made the biggest impacts. Yeah, he he first really impressed me right out of the gate in the preseason. He had some some snaps, both interior and on the edge, where he was just beating guys left and right. Sometimes it was early in the game against starters. Sometimes it was against the second and third stringers. But he was just winning in ways that I thought was sustainable going forward into this year. And his versatility has been solid. You know, he's got 238 snaps on the defensive line. 26.5% have come on the inside. 71% have come on the edge. He's tied for third in sacks with four on the team. He's seventh in pressures with 18. And that positional versatility has been real key. And it's been nice in in, in matchup games, right? Because you take, especially, you know, you, you mentioned how the season ended last year in the AFC Championship. And this Bills team came into the offseason not explicitly saying, 
we're building our defense to beat the Chiefs. But implicitly, they oh, were for building sure. their defense to beat the Chiefs. And it came yeah. to fruition in that game on Sunday night when they rotated yes. nine guys. Nine yes. defensive linemen is almost unheard of. And you rotated no, all of them real. evenly. Why? Because we're going to stay fresh all game and we're going to get on your ass. It worked. That's what they want to do. And it, it worked. Did. And we were, all, we were all feeling great about it. And, you know, to further that rotation, I was crunching numbers last night. The Bills are one of only seven teams who do not have a defensive lineman with more than 60% of the snaps. Ed Oliver is highest at 57. And even within those seven teams that don't have a defensive line with more than 60%, several of them have like 59.4, 59.6. So that rotation has been super key this year. And having someone with that positional versatility like F.A. Obata has really helped. And, you know, when you face a team like the Chiefs or these heavier passing teams his ability to come inside and generate pass rush from the inside as well on the edge but also to be able to couple that with his length and his size his ability to clog up those passing lanes to get his hands up he's somebody who i value tremendously and it's been a shame that he's been banged up these last several weeks you know he missed the first game against the patriots with a hip injury he missed last week with an ankle injury he practiced in full today i'm expecting to see him in this game i i know the patriots you know, a style of offense and feeding the run. But I like what Obata does. I think he can be used as a Swiss army knife. I think he's good enough against the run. And then combined with his ability to compress the pocket, use his size and length. He's been a nice addition. And, and I hope to see him back again next year, continuing to do things because he, he's been a versatile piece. And I think he's really, I don't want to say he's overachieved or went above the expectations, but I don't think a lot of people saw him as much when he came over from Carolina. They were just like, oh, okay, we signed some guy who's British and played for Carolina. Oh man, Carolina again, surprise. (laughs) And then he came out and showed out in the preseason. He's had several really good games this year. And now that he's healthy, uh, I'm thinking he could have a big impact this weekend. So my expectation is to see him rotated in. I think he's to your point. I think he's going to continue to be used in a, in a, in a scientific or pinpointed way. I think they have special, you know, situations and and schemes for him. Yep. Um, so I don't think we're going to see him, you know, playing 50% of the snaps, but I think when he's in there, he'll be effective. I mean, he only got 18 snaps against Carolina and he was a game wrecker. He destroyed, yeah, destroyed. that game. He blew it up mm-hmm. in a handful of plays and that was the end. Yep. That's what you want from that guy. Now, when you look at the two guys riding shotgun with him, Rousseau and Basham, Rousseau, when he was drafted, <laughs> there was a lot of people not happy about it. I remember Bruce uh, mm-hmm. Nolan from over at Buffalo Rumblings. He explicitly pre-draft was like, oh, God, don't do that to me. Don't you draft a, <laughs> don't you draft a Greg Rousseau. So we reminded him of it afterwards because we're petty. <laughs> we, we are the pettiest <laughs> Bills podcast. And we laughed about it. And then throughout the course of the season, it's like he started hot. He hit a lull. But where I think a lot of rookies hit a wall, he's actually been playing really well over the last month and a half of football. I feel like the he's almost the inverse of Obata, where when you cut him, when you get him more reps, he's actually improved. The more playing time he sees, the more impact you see. He's he's commanding, and some of it doesn't show up in the box score, which is why I I, I have a guy like you here tonight to kind of talk about a little <laughs> bit of that. Him commanding the edge versus the run and what that's worth mm-hmm. to guys like Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds who, hey, when you command the edge, I can come downhill and make a tackle in the open field versus you letting that tackle get upfield. He doesn't lose much. 
He doesn't lose a ton. His run defense is actually really solid. His blocking is good. And what I like about him is that he still brings you a little juice in the pass rush. He still brings you a little bit of threat on the edge. What do you think about his matriculation into this defense? So first, I like the word matriculation. So well done. I appreciate ah! using it there. That's a good word. I I was a little down on the Rousseau pick as well, um, especially the range it came. I I mean, the other guys I liked had good rookie years as well, but I wanted Odafe Owe, who went to Baltimore. I really like Joe Tryon, who went to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm a University of Miami guy. Like, I love the Miami Hurricanes, so I'm very familiar with Rousseau. And my biggest worry was how long it would take him to translate to the NFL and what kind of path and trajectory he would be on. And I thought the worst thing for him was so many Bills fans saw the raw stats that he had coming out of college in his one year of production. And we're like, oh, my God, look at how many sacks he had and tackles for loss. This guy's going to be a monster. And then we get to that first preseason game against Detroit, and he's got a sack right on the first drive. Yeah. And he's he's beating Penny Sewell. And he's winning all these reps and everybody's like, oh, like, I don't know how many times I saw on Twitter, like he's getting 12 sacks, yep. easy. defensive rookie of the year, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And the way you introduced him just now was so spot on, you know, with his pass rush side of uh, with the pass rush side of his game, because he was winning in the preseason just off of pure size and length and strength, his ability to shoot that long arm in and control offensive tackles and win with his length and his size and his strength we're winning him reps that doesn't work all the time when you're playing starting caliber talent in the NFL and you do not have a pass rush plan and you do not have pass rush moves and he does not. And that's not his fault. He is very, very, very young. He's only like four years, you know, removed from playing safety and wide receiver. Like he's a very young player in terms of age. Big he is. Yes. He's safety? a monster. Like seems crazy. It's unreal. Dudes, like, it, watching his, his high school tape is crazy. It's like watching Der- Derek Henry's highlight tape is crazy, too. He's basically, like, the same size he is now in high school, and it's just <laughs> not fair. It looks like a guy playing with preschoolers. He's a monster of a man. And Rousseau has all these physical traits and measurables, but he's so raw. We haven't come close to seeing what his ceiling is going to be. In the yes. next five years, he could genuinely be one of the best five or ten edge rushers in football. Or he could be kind of middling and average because he's got that. I don't want to compare him to Josh Allen, but he's got that, you know, kind of lower floor, but ridiculously high ceiling. Well, we've talked about this ad nauseum. This regime loves the concept of give me the giant chunk of marble. I will make a football player out of this. Yep. Don't give me the small one that I know will fit in the box. Give me the giant one and I'll make it work. It's the train. It's the Tremaine Edmonds. It's the Josh Allen pick. It's now the Rousseau pick. You go listen. Maybe they're not what you think will be stars, but I think I can take those freak physical traits and make a damn good football player out of that. Yeah, and their ability to coach up players. I think even if we take from the free agency piece, right? I don't know if I mean they haven't gotten the full recognition that they deserve from the national media, but. I think Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are all pro safeties, and I don't think anybody thought when they were signed. I mean, Poyer was a Cleveland Browns cast-off. Micah Hyde was a Swiss Army knife, more nickel corner than he was anything. Actually, he was more like a nickel corner 
slot corner and punt returner in Green Bay. They come to Buffalo and they're the best safety tandem in the NFL, and they both deserve Pro Bowl nods and all pro accolades and all that stuff. So this regime, exactly your point, they're all about coaching up, molding, yep. and carving, you know, give balls me, of clay and marble. Me, give me something to work with and I'll make him a football player. That's why I love what Rousseau has been. Do you, yes. His his production is sustainable because it's not splashy. It's not sexy. Mm-hmm. It's just he grinds and he continues yeah. to work. Boogie Basham, And that run game defense is part oh, yes. of it. He's sixth yes. in, in run stop win rate at 29%. Like, and at first, well, that's the thing. it's 33%. Okay, so McDermott would never put a guy out there who he thought was a liability to the run yes. because he knows that that's what teams want to do. I mean, mm-hmm. you pass in the NFL, it's a passing league, but teams that pass, if you pass 80% of the time, you'd lose most of your football games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's statistics. You have you to be able to balance, balance it. Yeah. So yeah. even if it's skewed, even if you're a team like that, and again, that's where he came in handy in that Chiefs game, but you saw him come up big in moments. Where he can move mm-hmm. a tackle, disrupt a rushing lane. Now it's a tackle for one yard instead of what might have been a five yard gain. Well, that's mm-hmm. the margin between win and loss when you're talking about, I want to win a Super Bowl. That's it. And they went out and got that guy. And they said, okay, we'll take that for now. And maybe for the future, he'll be a difference maker. That's cool. I look at Boogie Basham, the second round mm-hmm. pick. Now, here's a guy who hasn't found a way to consistently work his way into the lineup. And at the same time, when he does play significant snaps, he doesn't seem lost. And actually, he's made some splash plays in almost every game that he's gotten significant snaps in. Let's talk about him for a little bit. What do you see from him at the end of this season going into the playoffs? He's a really intriguing one because you hit the nail on the head. He's... He hasn't been like very impressive, but he also hasn't been terrible. No. And then he's got some flash plays where you're like, oh, look at that. Like he just flashed. You saw what he just did there. You saw how we blew up that run. You saw the sack that he just had. And his versatility was talked about a lot coming in this year, but hasn't really been seen a ton. You know, he's got 200 snaps on the defensive line. 168 of them have come on the edge. So 84%. He's kicked inside from time to time, especially against like smaller offensive lines or teams that want to pass more and don't go heavy with the run. I think his usage in the playoffs you know, we'll start with that. I think it's going to be really matchup dependent based on the type of offense that we see. You know, the games that he's played this year, he's played against Houston, Kansas City, both times against the Jets. He's played against the Colts, the Patriots twice, and Carolina. So he hasn't seen a lot of variation in his opponents. You know, four of his games have been, you know, just against two opponents, the Patriots and Jets twice. And a lot of those were mixed in because of injuries we had up front with Starlet Tulele and different and FA Obata being banged up. So I see him more as a matchup specific guy going into the playoffs and really being leaned on if someone else is banged up or depending on the opponent. Um, I really, honestly, I don't even know if we're going to see him against new England, especially with how run heavy they want to be. I would expect to see, you know, four defensive tackles. I, I would really love to see star Ed Harrison Phillips and then Ilianku. Um, it's not Eli Ankow. I know a lot of people say it like that. It's Ilianku. <laughs> he's yeah, that's not he's Every week not, we argue about name. this shit. I, I don't know how to pronounce that name. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Eli, Eli Yanku. I, I looked it up earlier in the year when we brought him in. I went to YouTube. I watched an interview. He introduced himself. I was like, boom, that's how you say his name. Uh, I said it 10 right. times. And I, there Straight you go. from so the I horse's mouth. That's the best research you could do. 
There you go. Yeah, just go right to the YouTube. And so I would expect to see four defensive tackles. Really for Obot for I'm sorry, for Basham to get in, I feel like we'd have to use six defensive ends in this game. I don't we really haven't done that. I I'd expect to see five, and then you're looking at Jerry, uh, Mario, Obata, Rousseau, and then it's like, okay, is it Basham or is it Epinesa? Maybe it's Basham in this game because you want to defend the run, and AJ had some rough, rough reps the first time against the Patriots. But again, for Basham in the playoffs, I think it's going to be matchup dependent. And then going into next year, I have a lot of eyes on him. Both of my eyes are going to be on Basham. I didn't love that pick. I didn't like his tape at Wake Forest. I thought his ceiling was limited. I thought his floor was decently high, but not enough to warrant where we took him. And then I didn't think the ceiling was enough to push him over the edge. And a lot of what I've seen this year, he's shown some positive things just like he did at Wake Forest, but he really hasn't done anything to you know knock me off my initial estimation of him. But we're going to need him because, I mean, is Jerry coming back? Is Mario Addison coming back? What does AJ Epinesa look like? Yes. All could because it was supposed to be Rousseau and Basham and Epinesa were going to be the future. And now you're sitting there, and I think there it's fair to ask questions about Epinesa. It's fair to ask questions about Basham. I'm not judging Basham fully yet because again, he's a rookie. We still don't know what he can be. But I think there's a decent amount of expectation that is going to be laid upon him because he was a second round pick. And we're going to need things from him, especially if Jerry and Mario don't come back next year. That's fair. Now, switching sides of the ball to the offensive line, because that's one place in that Kansas City game, specifically, we got beat up, manhandled in that game. Yes. We're going into this one with left guard Rick Bates (laughs) and right tackle Spencer Brown. Two, Two guys unheralded names that nobody ahead of... If you had said last summer that, hey, we're going to go into the playoffs with Rick Bates as our starting left guard and Spencer Brown is our starting right tackle, most of us would have bet a whole paycheck on the fact that that guy was a lunatic. And yet here we are. (laughs) Now, I talked about this a little bit. I tweeted it out today. Josh Allen, third most blitz quarterback in football, first in quarterback hurries, fifth in quarterback knockdowns, 32nd in pocket time among all starters. And yet he's 27th in sacks. Because his rare athleticism allows him to cover up for a lot of their mistakes. So Mm -hmm. when you look at what these two guys, now you're going into here with, I mean, they brought back the band. We know what Feliciano is. And if he gets the start, great, good for him. Yet Rick Bates was the guy that when Feliciano was healthy, they said, no, we still like what he's doing. (laughs) <laughs> and Spencer Brown took the job from Darrell Williams. Well, I think Cody Ford was so bad they needed an option. Yes. And they said we like yeah. Spencer Brown's length and his rawness isn't isn't nearly as bad as having Cody Ford in the football game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so in that way, we're heading into the playoffs with a new left guard and a rookie right tackle. What have you seen from these guys, and what what's your expectations for them, given the teams that we're probably going to face? That's the key, right, is how do they look against next-level, upper-echelon yes. competition. And I think, you know, Rick, Ryan Bates, whatever we want to go with at this point, I think he needs to be locked in at left guard. I trust him more than... Uh, Feliciano on the interior, even more than Ike Butker. Um, I've liked his tape better than Butker's. Um, definitely more than Cody Ford, but Cody Ford wouldn't kick over to the left. Ryan Bates' athleticism. Cody Ford can kick over to the rocks. Cody Ford can kick rocks all the way out of... We were... (laughs) 
So, so That's your 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 co-host on the uh, post game show, me, Aaron Quinn, Greg, we're at the Chop House, and th- th- one of the nicer steakhouses in Buffalo. Cody Ford yes. walks past us. Now, Aaron. Oh. Now, now here's the thing. Aaron all day has been whining, whining. I will say it on this podcast, whining about the fact that I don't have any nice clothes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't. I don't yeah, have an I office. I don't have an office job. I just do this. Blah, blah, blah. So he Seinfelded it and wore his white New Balance sneakers with jeans and a sport coat. Chris, you saw it. Okay. Yeah. I was there. Chris, you saw it. <laughs> yeah. Chris is here during this podcast, folks. He's still here. So Chris was there at the restaurant with us. He. Aaron shows up, we sit down, he agonized over this for hours, we sit down, and Cody Ford walks past our table wearing a giant red t-shirt and sweatpants and sneakers. Oh, no. <laughs> Aaron was and, like, and you wait knew, a minute. you knew he was going to have a bad year. Aaron was like, wait a minute, what? And I'm like, well, he's a football player. First of all, they love to throw guys like you and me out of here. They're never going to yes. say no to his money. But also... What are you doing wearing sweatpants in public? And then right then and there, I was right. like, ah, you're not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to work it's out. It's not like... going to work out. You're wearing sweatpants to a steakhouse. Oh, st- steak is something we take very seriously here. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't going to yeah. work. <laughs> but so in that way, it's been addition by subtraction. Now, when you look at what both of these guys are bringing to the table in their respective positions, what's your projection for them into the playoffs? And how do you think they're going to hold up against the teams that we're expected to play? That's that's the big question. You know, it, as we start to face, you know, if we move forward past New England, right? And then all of a sudden you're looking at teams with, you know, I'm just throwing out all the other teams. If we somehow played Pittsburgh again, we know what their front is and what their front can do. We know with Tennessee how good Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry are. We faced Kansas City this earlier this year, but they did not have Chris Jones. And now they've added Melvin Ingram, who's played decently enough. Not great, but decent. If we somehow play the Raiders, Max Crosby has been a terror. And former Bill uh, Quinton Jefferson had a very good game against the Chargers on Sunday. And he's looked good in stretches. I'm still concerned about this offensive line. I think it's the biggest weakness on this team because of how inconsistent they've holistically been on the year. I think they're a middling offensive line, but the problem is they have times where they look like they're a bottom five offensive line. We just need them to be average. It'd be great if they were a top five or top 10 offensive line, but we don't even necessarily need that. Just be average, but be consistent. We don't need the peaks and valleys. We don't need the ebbs and flows. We don't need the roller coaster. Just be consistent. I think Bates and Brown, what they bring to this offensive line is the overall athleticism and ability for this offensive line to hang their hat on something collectively. Before the addition of Bates and Brown into this offensive line, you had, so we were going with that initial starting group that we thought, right? So Dawkins, Feliciano, <coughs> Morse, Ford, and Darrell Williams. You had a group that wasn't really athletic holistically, but wasn't really like physical holistically, like they weren't really athletic enough to run zone runs and not really physical enough to run man. And their pass protection showed reflections of that as well. All of a sudden you've added Bates who coming out of college had a relative athletic score of 9.54 out of 10, which is tremendous tied for for the highest of all time. Unreal. And then you got Spencer Brown, who was a 10 out of 10 coming out, who's an absolute physical monster. Yes. And now you've got this ability on the offensive line to, you know, I, I think it's no coincidence we've seen more success in the run game over the last several weeks. Granted, we have played lesser defenses and lesser defensive fronts, but the Bills are starting to use more pin and pull runs 
that they were successful with early in the year, including against Tampa Bay, getting Mitch Morse, who is one of, if not the most athletic center in the league, out in space. Spencer Brown, out in space. Darrell Williams can move a little bit. Ryan Bates can definitely move, and so can Dawkins. Now, this offensive line is starting to have something they can hang their hat on. So my expectation is... In theory, they should get better every game. The more they play together, this chemistry builds, this confidence builds, and now they have something structurally and schematically to start to hang their hat on, which is that athleticism piece. And now we're starting to see it show and even pass protection. Now we're seeing Mitch Moore start to use these pop sets where Bates takes the spiker inside on a stunt and Morse pops out and fills in between yes. him and Deion Dawkins to pick up the other rusher. In yep, Atlanta, you're seeing it a lot. In Atlanta, Morse yep, had a over and over. Morse had a great set where he popped out and took the fireman. And you go, wait a minute, why is my center off to my quarterback's blind side? Oh, because he's athletic. People don't want to give him credit for that, but he can pivot and move. I love it. So this offensive line has potential. All of these guys have the potential to change the makeup of what we are heading into the playoffs. Last year we got bullied. In that game... I mean, the the game, I mean, my son had a fever, so I didn't watch most of it. And I was upstairs. I was, the the people were yelling. People were, I was freaking out, (laughs) but then I was also freaking out about other things. Like all of this stuff's going, yeah, like life. (laughs) All this stuff's happening. And at the end of it, we're all just left feeling very hollow. Yeah. And you saw that in the players, you saw it in the fan base. They made changes with these new faces. And these are the guys who we're going to have to ride into the, into this playoff run that aren't the usual suspects. The guys that we know have a specific role that we can trust. I guess the question to you, given the presence of all of these things, do you think that they've done enough heading into this frame for things to end differently this time around than last time? I do based on how the AFC is as a whole this year. Every single team from top to bottom in these playoffs for the AFC has some semblance of weakness or holes. There is no one team that is the top dog. You can make a case for literally like, honestly, the top four seeds. Like if you want to tell me that Tennessee's the best team in the AFC, okay. KC, okay. The Bills, okay. Even Cincinnati. But each one of those teams have some sort of flaw and some sort of weakness. What I think the Bills have is I think overall – They're the most complete football team. And now what we've started to see with the improvement and the rise of Ed Oliver, right? And to talk about all these new faces that we talked about, the the rise in play from Ed Oliver, the addition of Gregory Rousseau and F.A. Obata, even offensively with Ryan Bates and Spencer Brown, you've changed the makeup of this team a little bit. You've added more athleticism, you've added more versatility, and especially on the offensive side of the ball, you've added more physicality. I think the Bills having a pivot in this offense – And by pivot, I mean that run game. I don't think it can be overstated at all. And I love how, you know, you mentioned earlier and we talked about that balance piece. I came into the season wanting some semblance and balance. When I say balance, I didn't mean 50-50. We don't have to throw it 25 and run it 25. But you need a running game to pivot to at some point. Yes. You need it. It doesn't matter if it's on third and one or all in the second quarter or when the weather gets bad or because this opponent can't stop the run and they're great against the pass, whatever your reason, you just cannot come out and it's important to have your fastball, but you cannot just throw a fastball at some point. You need a change up. Or even if you're throwing your fastball, you can't just throw it high and inside. At some point you got to throw it low in the way and you got to work the plate and that running game 
is that changeup. It's the ability for this offense to pivot. And I think a lot of that offensively has to do with Bates and Brown. I think they're still overall a middling offensive line, but now that they have something to hang their hat on with athleticism and physicality, it gives them a different option in these playoffs that they did not have last year. And it gives them an opportunity to combat several of these defenses they're going to play. And then on the defense, Gregory Rousseau and F.A. Obata, mm-hmm. the impact that Ed Oliver's having, I think that will continue to show. I still think for my money, the Chiefs are the team to beat in these AFC playoffs from that side of the ball. And I think we're built to beat them given the additions that we have on the defensive line. I'm still a little nervous for some other matchup dependent things, like even with what New England does, if Derrick Henry comes back for Tennessee. But I think, yeah, this time around, this Bills team is better equipped to make a full Super Bowl run. I love it. Anthony, thank you so much for giving us your time tonight because, let's face it, I'm sitting over here sucking down beers just asking questions. You're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I mean, again, for our listeners, I'm not an idiot. There's just certain things that, Chris, if there's there's any strength I have, it's knowing when there's a fight that I'm outclassed for (laughs) or a conversation that I shouldn't be trying to have by myself. And this is where we bring in someone like Anthony. He's he's an expert at this. Why he's smart. Tell- he's uh, intellectual. He knows the English English language. He speaks well. Now, although hey, he did celebrate. He did celebrate a couple of my SAT words because you know. Yeah. I, I went to school for journalism. I could throw them around. Okay. Where yeah, matriculate? Did- <laughs> matriculate. Where can people find the rest of your work on social media, podcasts? Because I feel like you don't get enough credit in this space. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that means a lot. Sincerely, thank you. You uh, you can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I host a weekly show on the Cover One Network called Disguise Coverage. It is live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. So you'll find me tomorrow night live at 7 p.m. Uh, with somebody who you mentioned earlier. I'll be having Bruce Nolan join me to go over the matchups that will define Bill's Patriots. And then you can find me live after every single Bills game, uh, doing the Cover One post game with Greg Thompson and Aaron Quinn. You can also find me every week doing the Cover One film room with Eric Turner. Usually we're live on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., breaking down all the film and the All-22 stuff from every Bills game. And, yeah, that's me. I do a lot of stuff. They call me the workhorse at Cover One. I think it's funny, and I ran with that joke, and I've continued to do it. And it's only going to ramp up as we get you know, out of this season and going towards the draft and we'll shift and focus towards college football and prospects and free agency and salary cap stuff. And yeah, that's me. I also like long moonlit walks on the beach. So just in case anybody cares about that, that's me. (laughs) Guys, this has been a great show. I love him. I love all of this. I love how prepared this bills team is to go into this playoffs I feel like they're better equipped than they were last year. And he's made me feel better about that. Hopefully he did the same for you. For tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Anthony Prohaska. And this has been your Rockpile Report. Excellent. Thanks for doing this, dude. Dude, I... No, hell yeah. Thank you guys for having no, me. No, I, I mean it. I don't... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.